Great podcasts deserve a great platform. That's why Pocket Cast delivers a beautifully designed, simple but powerful experience that offers more control. It's the premium app for podcast listening, search, and discovery. And it's now free. Download Pocket Cast today at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores. Hello and welcome to Flintoff Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's me, Matthew Side. Another set of meaty topics. How hard is it to break into the first team when you're in a youth team setup? What has body shape got to do with coaching and new challenges that each of us still want to achieve? Remember, you can use the hashtag FredSavSide to suggest future topics. But before we get going, let's talk about what we always talk about, which is what we've been up to over the previous week. Uh, Fred, do you want to kick off? Can do, yeah. I've been at my musical and the Fat yes. Friends of Musical. Oh, it starts this week. Oh, my Ooh. word. I've been in Leeds all week, and I'll be honest with you, it's gone up a notch. It's, it? up, well, it's getting closer and closer. Yeah. So this week was a bit more about the music, and they had this thing called Sits with the band. I had no mm-hmm. idea what it was. And it's a German word for sit down or something. Mm-hmm. Sits. Sits, yeah. <laughs> Damn, so you, you walk into the room, <laughs> yeah, you've got the band, and then you've got four microphones at the front. I'll post a picture of what it looks like. Yep. And then you sit on the side with the rest of the cast, waiting for your song to come on, and then sing out loud with the band. Wow. It was like oh. the X Factor Six Chur Challenge. Oh. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have got a chur. Really? Oh, I walked up. And there's something about walking up towards a microphone, which is quite nerve-wracking. And I had to start singing my songs. And I loved it, like. And then last night I was in Leeds again in the theatre, singing on stage with the band. Mm. And it's all come a little bit real now. So you're ready? As nearly. Tomorrow we've got two run-throughs, which are crucial, before Tuesday. Oh. But do you know the thing? You walk around Leeds and there's such a buzz about it. Because every bus that goes past, there's adverts on buses, pictures on buses, pictures on all the billboards, yeah. everyone's really? talking about it. It's, oh, my word. Do, do you think the pressure, Fred, will be different when there's an actual live paying audience? I don't want to ratchet up the, the, <laughs> the pressure on you, but do you think there'll be a different feel when you're approaching the microphone or you're starting to sing on that first night? It'll be brilliant. It'd be, it'd be brilliant. I, I must admit, I probably should be at this point a little bit more nervous than what I am. Mm-hmm. But I reckon, as just before I go out there on Tuesday, I'll be, I'll be ticking. But the thing is, it's like anything. It's like sport. It's like stuff. I've worked. I've practiced so hard. Yeah. I've got to know it. So I'm yeah. taking confidence in the fact that all the stuff I've done is leading up to performing it. Yeah. And performing it like playing whether for Lancashire or England for me, that's the treat. That's yeah. a treat at the end of all the hard work. Yeah. And you've been full of a chord as well. Oh, yeah. And I can hear it. I've been full of a cold. It's affected me singing voice, but nobody noticed. <laughs> um, I've been sucking on all these sugar-free strepsils. And then it was only yesterday, Sam Bailey, who's in the show, amazing woman singer, said, don't have strepsils. It numbs your vocal cords. You won't know how to use them. So you could have told me two weeks ago. I've been sucking them for the past two weeks. <laughs> do, do you have a substitute? Because often when you have these live shows, there'll be somebody who, if one of the cast gets ill, they'll come yeah. in and deputise. Do you have somebody like that? I have Joel Montague, who <laughs> right, well. he's amazing. Yeah. I, I feel really bad in some ways because this lad is musical theatre. And he's your substitute? Yeah, he's my understudy, they call him, in the music. And it's a bit of a bad thing for him because 
he's probably better than me. And he's just come off the back of doing School of Rock on the West End. He was mm. playing the main role in that this weekend. The main role of School of Rock and he's your sub. Well, yeah, he, well, he, but he's normal. <laughs> what is, is it? He's, oh, he's, well. His normal role is one of the gay dads in School of Rock. But mm. then when Dewey, who plays the lead, isn't in it, he does it. So he's oh. like been up for awards and all sorts. And I thought it'd be a bit resentful towards me, but he's helped me so really? much. Oh, he's wow. been such a good lad. And this has been the nice thing about the theatre stuff. You know, I've been in teams a lot. Yeah. It's a proper team. Really? Yeah. Lovely people wow. are looking after each other. Oh, Tuesday, Matthew, Tuesday. Tuesday. Can't wait, can't yeah. wait. Uh, Roberto? Yeah, I was um, a busy week, Champions League, um, mm. Man United Benfica, then I went to Lyon. Beautiful. Is it the culinary culinary what? place of the uh, world? The culinary food, Rob. Food, food. <laughs> good do grub. good food. Good grub. It's the food, Leon. What the food there was amazing. But then, what you what you have? It's the food capital of France. That's right. That's right. Andrew is. Um, I had um, a steak. <laughs> and chips. <laughs> and chips. Yeah. Yeah. And chips. You yeah. put some sauce frites. Um, um, I also had trouble with the mini. Oh, oh no! What's happened? So. So basically, you've realised it's white. It's cream. <laughs> it's cream. So basically, what's happened? My wife, who we all know and love. I've never met her, Rob. None of the listeners know who she is. I think I, I love her. I love her. I don't know her. Unbelievably. <laughs> um, so I was going to a garage to pick up a car. Yeah. Another one? No. Another car, Rob? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> to get a car, right? So anyway, I said to my wife, I need to pick you up in the Mini to go to the garage, therefore, me get in the car and you drive the Mini home, yeah? I get it. So anyway, I go to the garage, I park the car on the forecourt and I turn it round for her so she's facing out and she passed her test in a... Um, mini? No, in a geared car. In a geared car. Oh, right. But 20 years, 25 years ago. A manual. Yeah, manual. Yeah. A manual. So she got in it, and we're not lying, mate. She stalled it three times. She was putting her foot on the brake. She's forgotten how to drive um, a geared car. And she got out of the car. <laughs> she left it in the middle of the road. Oh. Ran out, oh. ran into the garage, and said, I'm not driving that, she said. I tell you what. She said, she said, and she went mad. We had a big row in the, in the garage. Everybody was looking. And it, she left the car. The, the full beam was on. The indicators are on. The car was smoking. It was all over the place. Oh, no, it's smoking. Yeah, it so it's, smoke, it's gone, has it? Wow. It's, no, it's all right. It's all right. So we had a massive row. So the Mini has survived. What was the other car that you were picking up? Pardon? What was the other one you were picking up? Yeah, it was a higher car. Oh, was it? Yeah, what a was car. it? A, it was a higher car. Um, it was a Vauxhall um, Astra. Okay. And if you repaired the if you repaired the damage with your wife yeah. after the fallout, yeah, it was fine. We had a good. Yeah, I, she apologised. Um, um, <laughs> you know, because I, I don't get it. She passed a car in, in a manual car. What anyway. have you been doing, Matthew? Oh, yeah. Well, I've had a reasonably busy week. The one big day for me was last Thursday, what my birthday. Oh, you get that under your yeah. hat, didn't you? So, um, really wonderful <laughs> evening. Um, what was it a big one fifty? It was. <laughs> Cheers, Fred. Forty-seven. Although I've got to say, Are you for, really, I, I just, you're forty-seven. Forty-seven, and that's a weird thing. Do you remember last it's a bit week? No was, man's land, that, isn't it? Forty-seven. I know you're not sort of middle-aged, older. Where would you call it? Middle-aged, late middle-aged, early middle-aged. On, on the decline. On the <laughs> deteriorating. You're forty-seven. I didn't have you down for forty-seven. No, and do no. you remember last week? I was talking. I don't want to lower the tone at all. But do you remember, I was talking about the biggest fear that I have is the fear of death. 
So I've always been a little bit apprehensive about birthdays. It's one year later, one year closer to the end of the game. I had the most amazing response on Twitter by email from listeners who had said, you know, we have that fear too. It was great of you to talk about it. So that actually was wonderful to hear. Well, it's a good um, job I've kept the receipt for your present. I booked your plot at the <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Uh, so, uh, so what do you talk about with your wife over there? Death. Well, occasionally we will. I mean, birthday I think, dinner, death. No, no, no. We didn't talk no. about it explicitly during the birthday dinner. But you know, she has this fear too. I think it's part of how we bonded when we started dating that we have this very keen awareness <laughs> of our mortality, and we'll have every now and again we'll catch each other's eye, and we'll know that. That is a fact that we can't do anything about. But is we this a really actually... weird form of flirting you do? <laughs> <laughs> is this like... Hey, darling. Is this foreplay? Are you also worried about dying? Um, <laughs> oh, like, oh, yeah. Here's, here's a weird one for you. This has got nothing. It's slightly off topic. But the first date she and I ever had... Um, you went I to think, a mortuary. No, we went. This is weird. Neither we're both athe- atheists, but we went for this long walk around Kensington. We met in in town, and we're going for this long walk. We had a you know a drink. We had dinner, and then we were walking past this church, and we heard this. This is ridiculous, isn't it? We heard this music coming from the church, and I said, "Do you want to go in and have a look?" Are you sure it wasn't the Alchemist? <laughs> the what? The Alchemist. It's a pub. The restaurant. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't the other. It was called Kensington Temple. Uh, and we actually went in and had part of our date in a church. Um, but uh, we didn't really talk about... So you don't about... believe in God? I personally don't believe in God, no. I did. I grew up in an evangelical church, a happy, clappy church. My mum and dad, Christians, my grandparents, you know, really strong religious upbringing. But then when I went to uni, I thought, I don't believe this anymore. Who do so you believe in then? Just don't think there's anything, Fred. I think when you die, end of the game. What? Well, you can't, you can't, no, we're digressing here, but that can't happen. What, you think there is life after death? Well, you, you can't just go from this to nothing. There's no such thing as nothing. What, you, you just goes black and dark and then that's it. You just... And, even if, it, even if it goes black and dark, it's still black and dark. That's it, you're dead. There's nothing. Do you know, think about what happened before you were born. There were millions and billions of years, and you and I and Rob and Mike and Stan, we didn't exp- and the listeners, we didn't experience anything. I think when you die, that's it. The end of experience, the but end But what of... is the end? What is the end, Rob? What is it? What God. is it? Explain it. They can't, there's no such thing as nothing. I don't think time ends when we die. I just think... I'm not saying it does. What I'm saying is there's no such thing as nothing. So if it stops, say like you go to sleep and you shut your eyes and yeah. that's all you see. Yeah. So if you die, the worst case scenario, if that's what it is, it's still something. Well, it's like a general anaesthetic. Be- yeah. you, you remember you were talking about you having lots <laughs> well, of general I don't think they put you in hospital bed and put... Tell you to count to ten. When... <laughs> well, I've got to four, that'll be it. Oh, <laughs> you wake well. up starving. So when you die, that's, I think, when you die... Matthew, I'm with you a little bit, because I yeah. I sometimes think that when you die, that's it, there's nothing. That's it, it's it, it's over. I, I, I don't know it's what horrible. it is. I don't know what it is, but there's something. It can't be. I'm, I'm a believer. Do you, well, you think you come back like as a bird or a... It, I, I depends how good my, you were in your last life. You think you don't? But do you believe in reincarnation? I can't. I can't get my head around the idea well, of ceasing I, on, to exist. I, only I really reason can't. I believe in reincarnation is that Elvis died in 1977, <laughs> and I was born that year. So if you need any more proof on the fact that reincarnation does exist, I am living, walking, breathing Love fact. It. Matthew, well, but you know when you say about because yeah. uh, I thought about it, and when you said about death, and I've I've thought that 
you know, at times, like only on the occasionally, that when you die, that is it. What? Yeah. It's it. That's it. It's it. And I, I disagree. Like, I reckon. When, I reckon when I die, I'll go somewhere else where I've got a good knee. <laughs> I mean, I've got a good knee, and I can still play cricket. And then, then Elvis will come back. So, who was Elvis before he was Elvis? Huh? Like Julius Caesar. Who was your previous incarnation? Wait, oh, it goes all the way back to Jesus. <laughs> so, do, so do you just, pick it, a, just pick a few big names out exactly. till you get to Jesus, and then you end up with Elvis, then me. And I, I don't know who I'm going to pass it on to. So, how do, you, how do you explain fortune tellers then? Hey, what? Fortune tellers. Are you like, asking Fred or me? Or, or what they call clairvoyance. Oh, Cla- total clairvoyance. Nonsense. Yeah, that's what they're called. But uh, seriously, my friend, right? My wife's auntie's one. But is, she, is she really? No yeah. way. She is. My wife's auntie. Is yeah. she? Karen, yeah, she's one of these. Clairvoyance. She speaks to people. We've had Sunday dinner round at an Anne's. <laughs> And she said, oh, someone wants to talk. She's like, give it a rest, give it a rest. Can, can we get someone in to talk about Robbie's future? Oh, well, I know that. Grim. <laughs> <laughs> Long periods of, yeah. of, no, of no work. <laughs> I've not, not seen you for two weeks. It's coming off a cliff, I've missed you, I've missed you. I've yeah, been well, hanging thanks, around yeah. with my theatre so what, mates, being yeah, nice. Watch it if you miss them, the Avram. But you know what, Matthew, <laughs> seriously, one of, my, one of my best pals from Wales called, Wales called Quags, right? Quags? Yeah, he lost... What's his full name? Tony Qualia. Right? Quags. Yeah. So he lost. He went to see a clairvoyant. That's what they're called, aren't they? Not yep. a fortune, a clairvoyant in the room. And obviously, he didn't tell anything. And this is true that the lady said to him, You've experienced a loss. And he went. No, but that's not a clairvoyant. No, that's telling him what happened in the past. That's a medium, isn't it? Oh, that's what I meant. Not a clairvoyant. A, 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 medium. a medium. A medium. I'm a medium. You're, you're not. <laughs> you're you're a large way. <laughs> well, we go on to that topic after. Um, <laughs> um, and so a medium. And he's, he's, the lady said to, to Quags, you've, you've suffered a loss. Well, you haven't. Everyone has. No, everyone, no, but has. everyone has. But let no, me finish. Down, but let me finish. He said, yeah. And she said, right, I can see it. I can see it. He said, she said, you're bending down. So he went, yeah. Hey? Yeah, listen. He said, I can see you. I can see you bending down and stroking him. And it was, he lost his cat. And I'm serious. I'm totally serious. Oh, I'm so glad you said cat then. He's bending down, stroking it. I'm serious. He lost his cat, and and she said not just one, two. He lost Bill and Ben, his cats, and she said they're missing you. It's cats. How does I mean, she know that? Well, not only is she a medium, yeah. she's also a Dr. Doolittle. She How can speak she? to animals. How would she know that? Rob, think about it. Most people, or a lot yeah, of people, have had a pet now. and they've been bereaved when the pet dies and they have stroked the pet for the time that they had the pet. And if he had said, no, actually, I don't remember bending down and stroking it, she would have transitioned into something else. Don't you believe in mediums? Definitely not. I used to have, I used to have a tortoise right, when I was a kid, when I was about nine. <laughs> And it was called Fred. I painted Fred on his back so no one lose it. <laughs> and then came out one day and it's in the garden. It's not moving. And Fred's, Fred's passed away. He's, he's dead. So I'm upset. I've told my mum. So my mum said, oh, when you're at school, I'll bury him. I'll, I'll bury him. So she put him on top at bin, right? <laughs> so, so, so the bin men came. And then they've lifted the bin up to empty it before wheelie bins. To empty yeah. it. It's in a tortoise on the top. They thought, nobody tortoise in the bin here. So what they did, the bin men went round, put it in the back garden. 
I'd come home from school. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. He's, he's back, mummy's back. Everyone's like, what's going on? He's got that tortoise. I played with a dead tortoise for a week. No way. Yeah, my mum my mum ain't got the art to tell me. It's like, have you seen that film, Dumb and Dumber, when the kid's playing with a dead budgie? And they're yeah. like, come yeah. on, he's yeah. just a bit shy. Just a bit shy. I had a tortoise called Dixie. Dixie. He was after Dixie McNeil, the Wrexham striker, believe it or not. Wow. Really? Was he yeah. just as quick? Dixie. Dixie. <laughs> yeah, Fred, oh. didn't you have a dog called Fred as well? I had a dog called Fred. Well, how many of your I had a teddy called Fred. What's going I've been on? I've got a one strip pony, to be honest <laughs> with you, Matthew. They've had a pony, it'd be called Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we go on a topic number Let's one? Let's do one. Yeah. Come on. Okay, so this is youth sports. Robbie, you did a fantastic topic on this a few weeks ago. But this is very topical today because the England under-17s have won the World Cup. Incredible display coming back from two down against Spain to win 5-2. The question we were asking is transition. How do you move from a youth team to a first team, a senior team? I think a lot of young sports people will be interested in this, a lot of parents. Robbie, what's your take on this in a football context? Are we talking about our own experiences, Matthew? Because are we talking about in general? Tell you what, let's do a bit of both because I think both are very significant, but perhaps we'll start with our own personal so experience. My own personal experience at 17 um, at 17 I was on my apprenticeship YTS at Manchester United in the mm-hmm. class of 92 and then that age of 18 you then um, so basically at 14 I signed a, a four year um, scholar so you're there till yep. 18 and then 18 is a decision whether you get kept on so I got a year pro so from 18 to 19 then it was different then, Fred and Matthew, because it was the Pontins League. So you'd be playing with your with your the Pontins, Pontins League. Yeah, it was like the, the, Pontins. yeah. Are you sure you was a professional? It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, a red card. I had a red card. <laughs> so it was the Pontins League, which was the reserve team league. So at seven, at eighteen, you would have the chance to play with the people from the first team who were injured. So, for instance, at the age of 18, I played with Brian Robson. I mm-hmm. played with Brian McClare. I played with all those legends who were coming back to get their fitness back so they could go and play in the first team. And that was a great learning curve for me, you know, playing with internationals, you know, learning from them, the experience. And that was a huge thing for me. But mm. at 18, it's a huge decision. Are you good enough? I got a year pro. And mm-hmm. then for me... I was released. I was told. Right, is that is that when you got released 19, by United? Nineteen. So then I was released, and then I had a car crash on the way home. As it's it's well documented, you know, ended up in hospital when I got told I wasn't good enough, and then. Um, I no, you said that's well documented. I didn't know that. I, I'm not oh. aware of this. Yeah, me oh, neither. Oh really? No. Oh, so basically, so you imagine this. So the day, <laughs> the day I got released from um, Manchester United at the age of um, nineteen. I was in so Alex Ferguson's office. He said, "Listen, you're not going to be good enough." So I got my car. It was a little. Was that, was that is the exact words? Yeah, he said. You know, he said. You know, we've got other centre forwards here who are better. You know, but you will come back to haunt oh, me one said, day. He said, said, that's yeah. Right, yeah. Oh yeah. So um, I got in my little Fiesta, one point one finesse, white mm-hmm. wheel. You've gone full circle now. You got a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It was a one point one um, Fiesta finesse. So I'm driving um, the fifty two miles it is from Manchester to Wrexham. So on the way. I, I stopped the car and phoned my mate because um, there was no hands-free in those days. So I stopped the car and I phoned my mate and said, Jamie, I want, do you fancy going for a game of snooker? Because before I get to my parents' house to tell them I've been released, mm. because it was, I don't know if I was embarrassed, I don't know, don't know if I thought I'd let them down, I don't know if I thought yeah. I was going to be a footballer. It's interesting. Um, but basically, it was, it was unbelievable, Fred and Matthew, because 
You think that for all those years, five years <coughs> of your life, 14 to 19, yeah. you're growing up, you've got a new family, you've got all your mates, you've been taken away from your family. And then at 19, honestly, it was, thank you very much, bye. Wow. Did you see it coming? No, I, well, I was injured. That, I'm not making excuses. I never no. make excuses. But, you know, I had a double hernia um, that season of, of the first year pro, which got infected. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I missed three months or four months of that season. And I wasn't good enough, Fred. I wasn't good enough. But I didn't see it coming. No, I thought I might have got another year because I was injured to try and prove myself. But at 19, you're told, that's it. You're not good enough. You might come back to haunt me. I got in my car and... It's unbelievable. Driving away, that was it. All five years of my life, gone. And it was was just, thank you very much, bye. Move on to the next person. It was incredible, really. So all those thoughts got in my head as I'm driving home. So I phoned my mate Jamie and said, let's go for a game of snooker. So on the way, um, I stopped to meet him. It was at a pub called The Wheat Chief, just a car park. So I, I, I... I pulled what? What are you laughing at? I don't know. <laughs> the detail's brilliant. Yeah, Keep going. The weak chief. So I... He's going to tell us what his break was in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got two yellows, three pinks, and a blue. <laughs> Why are you being horrible again? I'm not being horrible. Yeah. Just yeah. the detail. Right, the detail. Anyway, Jamie had a coke. I had a diet coke. <laughs> we had a bag of nuts. Two bags of cheese and onion, a bag of salt and vinegar. Good job, Jamie. had 10 piece for light. Oh. <laughs> right? It's a proper story, this. It's a proper story. So anyway, we get in the car. He's got a blue Fiesta. He's got a blue Fiesta, right? Right. So this is when it gets a bit serious. I, right, let's go for a game of snooker. So we travel to the snooker club, which is in Gressford, which is about two miles. So we go past my old school, and it's it's where it happened as well. Is just I don't know if it's fate. My old my first um, school was um, um, Guersault Junior School. So as we go past there, it was a straight road, and there was a bend. And mm-hmm. I was in the car, and I wasn't concentrating, and I lost it on the bend. And there was a row of parked cars, and there was another car coming the other way, and it was a head-on collision. Head-on no collision. Way. Yeah, honest, honestly. Sort of speed. About 40, 50 miles yeah, an hour. Wow. Yeah. Head-on collision. Thankfully, the, 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 the elderly gentleman and lady in the other car were, were, were okay. They went to hospital, but they were okay. Thank you know, thank yeah. goodness. Um, so I hit them. Jamie, my friend, went into the back of my car. So I was oh. crushed in the middle. I had to get pulled out of the car through the window. The no. car was a write-off. Um, so then I get the ambulance comes. You know, I couldn't feel my left arm. Oh. Couldn't feel my left arm. It was Couldn't feel it. So obviously it must have hurt my neck. Wow. Um, and that might have been where I, got, where I got my neck from in later years to come. Mm. So I, I go to hospital. I'm in the in the lying in the bed. So you think this now? So the hospital for mum and dad to say your son is in hospital. He's had a car accident. You know, wow. On the day he was getting, they didn't know at the time, Matthew. That I was getting released. I had, they had no idea yeah. I'd been released. Yeah. So you imagine this. They come to the hospital, worried about their son. Is he going to be okay? What state he's in? You know, because this told him it was a head-on car collision. It's three cars, three-car pile-up. So and he had to get pulled from the car. The neck brace on. I was in the board. So I go to the hospital. I'm lying in bed. Mum and dad come into the into the hospital and say, "Well, they were they were crying. I was yeah. crying, and I had to tell them from a hospital bed that I've been released." Well, and that was the big thing, and they, obviously they weren't concerned about it in the slightest. So the day I got released from Manchester United, had a car crash. I had a car, and I, I couldn't feel my left arm. And then, so in my head, I'm thinking, "Wow, I was a, I was a I was a footballer for Manchester United yesterday. I had all everything. I had everything. It was my world. It, it, that day, I was I was lying in a hospital bed, couldn't feel my left arm, being pulled out of a car crash, and I I lost 
my second family in terms of the players I grew up with, yeah. and and I had nothing. I the, that was the, it. The trajectory here, Rob, is really interesting because remember last week you were talking about I think it was the scout Hugh Roberts, yeah. who turned up. He saw you play. You are selected for the United Youth Team. That's a situation of massive euphoria yeah. for you and your parents. Now you've gone through this transition. And they've told you you're not good enough to get into the senior team. So this is, in addition to the accident, that is a huge crushing blow. Did you at any point say to yourself, you know what, maybe I should turn my back on football? Obviously, you didn't make that decision. But how did you psychologically build back up to a situation where you're prepared to give it another go? It was because that, that's, that's the only thing I'd ever done. You know when people used to ask you, what do you want to be? My always my answer yeah. was a footballer, whether yeah. you're good enough or not. But there'll be people now who will say, what do you want to be? I want to be a footballer. But I think there's a, there's a stat, isn't there? Out of, out of 12,000 kids in the academy yep. system now from the age of 8 to 18, 12,000, 0.9% of people make yeah. it. But but in your case, I think, yeah. I, I think what's also quite interesting is the parting comment that Sir Alex Ferguson mm. You've made. come back to haunt me. Come back to haunt you. And if you look at you yeah. in your career on and off the pitch, yeah. you do that, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Tenacious. If, yeah, if someone yeah. says yeah. against what you can do, yeah. you prove them wrong. It's like, and you've yeah. done that time after time mm. with the clubs yeah. you've been to. Yeah. It's like with radio. Your broadcasting career. And the podcast. People, people say come you, and go and have a crack at you. There's a few people <laughs> said to us, Fred, it won't work. Yeah. We, we've had it on six or six, it won't work. And you fight against these people. So those words, Matthew, you'll come back to haunt me. That was, that's what, in a way, it's amazing because those words inspired me. Yeah. Those words from obviously one of the greatest man's ever been. When I was lying there, that rung to. I must have something. But but I can't imagine as well for Sir Alex Ferguson. I don't, don't strike me as a bloke who places any words that don't mean something. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I you know, know better exactly. than us, Matthew. Matthew will agree with that. So so <laughs> then so then what happened was right. I went home. Dario Grady rung me and said, "Listen, you know." I want you to come back to Crew because I was at Crew mm -hmm. as a from from thirteen to fourteen, and then I went to Manchester United. So I went back, and this is where it's diff men's like I would say men's football. Yeah. So now you go to Crew, and you are playing with you know thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven, you know aggressive, yeah. edit, kick it, clear it. And I went there as a as a as a skinny nineteen year old, no confidence, and I thought. I'm going to struggle here. Mm. And there was a period from 19 to 20, I didn't play for the first team. I was playing in the B team, wow. in the crew B team wow. against Burnley B team. And it was like, wow, this is sink or swim. So so when you see these lads who played it under 17 World Cup and won it, yeah. and I saw a few stats on the TV today saying how much they played in first team football, yeah. mm. and it's very small. Yeah. So what advice yeah. would you pass on to these young lads now who... They've done something amazing, but now their careers have got to kick on. What would yeah. you say to them? See, I, uh, it's, it's a great debate, Fred, and I come through the class of 92 where there was a generation of players who people say, is it harder to get an opportunity in the first team now because of the amount of money in the Premier League? So look at Manchester City, Phil Forden, for instance. Mm -hmm. He won the Golden Ball in the Under-17 World Cup, the best player. Mm -hmm. Will he get an opportunity week in, week out in Manchester City's first team where the manager really has to win trophies yeah. because the longevity is not there. So will the manager put his faith in a youngster when he can buy players like De Bruyne, Sterling, 
Aguero, Sane, Bernardo Silva. You know, so it's a very difficult pathway. Yeah. What happened to Manchester United? David Beckham went to Preston on loan. I don't think there's remember, nothing. Yeah. I don't think there's nothing wrong with a generation of under 17s now. These kids going out on loan, experience, you know, football in the, in the championship, end. the sharp end. You know, learning different sides of the game because now in these top clubs, in these top clubs now, you know, your academies from the age of eight. Mm. You don't know, in my opinion, the dirty side of football. You don't know, mm. you know, everything's done for you. Everything's done for you. You know, when you go, if you go into division, like, I remember Frank Lampard went to Swansea, you know, washing your own kit, washing your own training kit. Yeah. It's okay, that doesn't happen now to an extent, but I think that these. I did that. I, I had to do that internationally. Yeah, yeah. Did you really? Yeah, you, you get eight shirts for the season. You got to take them home and wash them. Really? Yeah. And then I got my trousers. Got to wash my trousers. My training kit. See, it's the pathway. We just had skids in all summer, <laughs> right? But my shirts were clean. <laughs> did, what was it like for you, Fred, to transit? Did you find? Can I just, can I just finish? Yeah, go, go on, can I just finish? So, the, obviously, the pathway now is mm. is quite difficult for these kids, you know. But I look at it, Matthew, and I might be completely wrong here, but. The class of 92, I'd take as a prime example. Gary Neville, Keith Gillespie, Nicky Butt, David Beckham, um, there were, and there was Scalzi. Mm -hmm. That first team at the time at Manchester United had Brian Robson, um, Lee Sharp, Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce, mm. Paul Parker, Dennis Irwin, Mark Hughes. These players, because they were good enough, got into the first team and they had a chance. Yes, they had a chance. They had a chance in Europe. They had a chance in the League Cup. And because they were good enough... They sustained their form and, and and then went on to be absolute legends. So the, I'm a great believer. Yep. If you're good enough, you know, you you you'll have a great career. But don't you think there are two things, Robbie? On the one hand, you had a group of young players who were having incredible success. They won the FA Youth Cup. They were being acclaimed. People said that they had a shot at glory, but it never affected their work ethic. They didn't start going out and buying fast cars and trading on the fact that they were becoming good players. It didn't go to their heads at all. They continued to graft. They went on loan. Beckham played fantastically at Preston. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and at the same time, though, Robbie, you still need opportunities. Ferguson did give them an opportunity. He took a risk. Remember early on when Hansen said on Match of the Day, you'll win nothing with kids. They had a bad game and he was absolutely castigated, but he continued to take the risk on these young players because he believed in them. Do you think that you need... I, I, went, I went out one night in London, right? And I was out in London with Corden and Jack Whitehall and Beckham uh -huh. and Dave Gardner. Yep. And we had a few in London... And then we went for a pub crawl around Notting Hill. <laughs> All right, so we're going for a pub crawl, walking from pub to pub, and I'm walking with these lads, and Alan Hansen was coming down the other way. <laughs> right? So he said hello to everyone, and Beckham wasn't really having him. Really? He, as he walked past him, he goes, you were nothing with kids. <laughs> just, yeah. just, shouting, just shouting at him, yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so, Matthew, you know what you say about opportunities? Yeah. And... You know, look at Chelsea. So Chelsea and Man City, you would say I've got the best youth teams. Yeah, I think Chelsea yeah. and City have been in the final for the last few years. Yep. I might be wrong, but I think they've been there or thereabouts. Chelsea send their youngsters out on loan. I think they've got like 30-odd players out on loan. And that's given them experience. But the big question is, will they get will they get an opportunity in the in the Chelsea first team? You look at Loftus-Cheek, he's gone to Chelsea mm -hmm. and is doing extremely well. Um 
Tammy, oh, sorry, yeah, it's gone to um, Crystal Palace on loan, Loftus Cheek. Tammy Abrahams has gone from Chelsea, Fred, to Swansea on loan, and he's just been called into the England squad. So it just goes to show, Matthew, that opportunities are there, yeah. no matter what club you're at in the Premier League or even Championship. If you're good enough, you get, you, you'll have, you know, I am a great believer if you're good enough. Does luck come into it? Do you know what I think? When I was a kid, I played senior cricket. I was playing an under-15 game for Lancashire. And I'd come off, and then the scout came over from Lancashire, lovely old fella um, called John. And he said, do you want to play for the second team tomorrow? I says, I don't know what it is. What are you on about? He said, the second team, Lancashire. I said, we're going to ask to be dad. So the next day, I was playing in a second team match for Lancashire. And mm-hmm. I, got a, I got a few runs, not many, and did all right. And then I started playing more and more. And I, I think from an ability point of view, at 16, 15, 16, I was good to go. I reckon I could have played first-class cricket and done well. I ended up playing when I was 17. But then looking back, I wasn't emotionally right to be playing at that age. Yeah. I don't think I was... Um, I was too... What's, what, I, I'm struggling for words here. Um, don't, don't look at me. <laughs> I've got the best words. I was, I was, too, I, I was too immature. Yeah. Not not as a fact where I'm going to be colouring, have a colouring book in the dressing room, <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah. emotionally, I was immature. I, I'd be doubting myself. I was unsure of myself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on in the dressing room, a lot of talk and things. I didn't know what, it, what they're on about. And then I remember my first trip away. I went, um, when I was 15, I ended up going to London with Lancashire and we got rained off for three days. I was in the book. I probably said this before. I was in the bookies every day. I was in nightclubs. I was in restaurants. I was drinking. And I had to give a chat in assembly when I got back. At 15? 15. So I I reckon ability-wise, I reckon I was a better batsman and cricketer at 16 than I was at 20, 21. Wow. I was so much better because I think I played a lot of... I I played for Lancashire when I was 17. I remember my debut, I think 16, played 17. I remember walking out to bat in a Sunday league game against Yorkshire at Old Trafford. And this is cricket, so there's 15,000 on, which is a massive crowd. Mm-hmm. I remember my eyes had gone and I couldn't function. I was like, got the jitters and I I then got put back in the second team. And I think that stumped, stunted my development as a player. I was yeah. surrounded by lads who weren't particularly professional, um, who were never going to be professional cricketers for any period of time. And I felt I got held back a little bit where if I'd have been around the best players, around the first team a lot more at that age, I'd have been a better player. What but happens it... to cricketers then, Fred? Because I'll come on to the footballers. So, you know, the ones aren't good enough from that 17 to 21, George, or 16 to 21. Yeah. If, you're not, if you've been at Lancashire or Yorkshire or Hampshire, Somerset, in, in that system, and you're... What happens if... You, does, does somebody say to you, well, you're not good enough? Where, yeah, where do, What happens? Where, where do they go? What well, happens? I, 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 for instance, I, I got signed. I was getting paid whilst I was still at school. Left at 16. Went on to a summer contract, so you got paid from April till September. Worked at Old Trafford in the winter. Worked at Woolworths behind the record counter. I signed a professional contract at 16. I signed a three-year contract. And I thought, you know what? I'll give this a go for three years. If it goes well, brilliant. If it doesn't, I'll go back to school. I got a college or I got university mm-hmm. after that a bit later. And luckily it turned out all right. Yeah. But then you look at some lads. Yeah, well, well they're, they're hanging on. They're getting paid somewhere between eight and 16 grand a year at that time. And then it comes to an end. And it's like you, you get called into your contracts meeting yeah. and it's, we're offering you another two years or unfortunately you're done. 
Go and empty a locker and off you go. Th- that's would, it. Would that be part of the advice you both gave then to young players? They should have a fullback position. Well, that, that is the massive thing. Yeah. Imagine as a cricketer, especially in them days, you finish in September, you had all the winter off, you got plenty of time to do something yeah. where people don't do anything. And, and now I'm hearing things in football where a footballer gets to his end of his career at 19 or gets released at 20 and they want a handout from the club. Yep. I don't agree with that. Yep. Why, why should you get a handout? You've had every opportunity yep. to be a professional sportsman. You've had the chance to do it. You've had the chance to work. If you're not good enough, that's just the way of the world. Yeah. But whilst you are doing that, think about doing something else. That's so true. And I think that this idea that football is a terrain of shattered dreams, that these players are given a chance and they're sold this shot at glory and then it all goes wrong and therefore the clubs are to blame, I think that it should be a situation where players and their parents are cautious about what agents are telling them, about what scouts are telling them, about what clubs are telling them, because it's not certain they're going to get through. 0.9 of 1%, that's less of 1 in 100 of these academy players will make the breakthrough. So what you were saying, Fred, I, I mean, I think the parents out there should encourage their children to play with passion, to play with dedication, to give it everything... But there is enough hours in the day to continue with your schooling. You were working behind the counter at Woolworths selling records. I worked in the club shot at the ground. But also as well, this is is another thing that I've just thought of this off the top of my head, which is quite staggering. (laughs) You think think as young lads, maybe, you know what, maybe you get blinded by the fact that you're going to be a professional sportsman and you have your eye on the ball all the time and that's all you want to do. So you take the gamble and you sacrifice what else you could do. Like you denied them. Yeah. But what I, what I don't understand is, is you have a career for 15, 16 yeah, years, yeah. know it's coming to an end at mm-hmm. some point, mm-hmm. but then don't prepare for it. You're not a kid yeah. anymore now. Yeah. You're an adult. Yeah. You've got responsibilities. You've got a family. Think about what you're going to do next. But players, players don't. You see so many sad yeah. stories. Matthew, get, I think you... people get so intoxicated by this incredible opportunity to become a professional sports person, to make money, to have that shot at glory, to play at Lords or at Old Trafford, that they forget two things. One, they might not make it, yeah, which you, is a high probability, that, and two, yeah. that career will at some point come but to an okay, end. It's okay saying that, Matthew. Yeah. As, but if anybody said to you, Matthew, you, you, when you were playing table tennis, hmm. sure, I'm sure you all you wanted to be was a table tennis. And when yeah. I was at school, yeah. and when I was 15, 16... What you what do you want to do? Just be a footballer, yep. and it's okay saying you should prepare. But the realization is for any youngster out there who's at a Premier League club now, you think you're going to be a footballer, and you don't. You don't want to think, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z out of when I've got time because you don't. All your focus on being that sportsman for that particular sport you're, you're involved in, no? Well, well, I think parents can easily get carried away as well. You get a young person who's in a youth football team getting into the second team of a Premier League club, beginning to earn a decent amount of money, suddenly they're getting big bank checks into their account and they think they've made it. They think their success is assured. Their parents are buying cars off the back of their children's success without realising this might not transition into a long-term career. I think that is massively dangerous. I was very lucky. I was like you, Rob, 16. You'd think of me as a boffin. 16, I left school to play professional table tennis and my dad was horrified. Professionally? Yeah, so I was so my first year at sixth form, I was doing three A levels, you know, maths, economics. But I, 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 but imagine that'd have been easy for you. What to 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 leave school? 
No, I mean to then do your air levels. Yeah, but that's the thing, Fred. For a while, I was saying to my dad, they don't matter. The only thing that matters in my life is becoming yeah. Yeah. the top player in the world. Yeah, I get that. Can you imagine my dad? This yeah. is a guy who became a professor. He, he was, you know, he's from a Pakistani background. Yeah, from a Pakistani background where education matters a lot. And he's looking at this boy, this naive young boy who walks out on school a few months into his um, lower six doing A-levels to play table tennis. And I'm at the club every day, nine in the morning to six at night, training with every single ounce of my being. You know, the ambition is so intense. And he looked at me for a while. He said, OK, I'm going to let you carry on down this path for a bit. Then he just kept dropping in these comments that, you know, one day your table tennis career will come to the end. It's possible you won't, you won't make the top in the world. We'll support you, son, in everything you decide to do. But why not have a fallback position? Why not have an insurance policy? Why not have a pathway from sport into something else when you get into your 30s? And it was him, really, who convinced me that I needed to do the A-levels. And yeah, Fred, I you know, I could do them in my spare time because there's plenty of time in the day to train as hard as you want, but then to go and do something else. And interestingly, uh, Rob, this under-17 team, this will sound weird, but they have a welfare and education um, advisor for every single youth team of both genders, all the way from 17 up to 21s. And at the European Championships, I think it was in Croatia, six or seven of the players were doing their GCSEs. Some were doing A-levels, others were doing B-techs. Over at the, um, the, the world under-17s, it was in India, wasn't it? They yeah. also were doing their revision, because there was enough time, instead of going on their PlayStations, they were actually trying to do other things that would equip them with the softer skills that might enable them to transition out of football at some point. Yeah. Now, I know some listeners will say, well, what a waste of time. It isn't a waste of time. It's a great but thing Matthew, to do. we're talking about the elite players yeah. here at under-17 level who have won a World Cup for England. You think how many players from the age of 17 to 21, whether you are at... We can talk about the elite, which mm -hmm. those boys obviously are, but the kids at... Just a bit, for instance, Berry, Shrewsbury, yep. Wrexham. You know, the, the players of that age, all they've known is football. Yeah. When you get told you're not good enough, like I was at yeah, Manchester yeah. United, you think you're at Manchester United, you think, I might have a chance, League One, League Two. But if you're let go from a League One or League Two side, where's where'd you go? It's not Conference. Easy. What conference? No, but but even that you might if you if you get let go by League One or League Two, even the conference is is, is not far different. So where's the fullback, Matthew? Where's where's when they told when those boys are told you're not good enough? What and they've got no education mm -hmm. and they've they've just put all their life into from the age of eight yeah. to trying to be a professional footballer. When you're told at a lower league club you're not good enough, what? Okay, well, so, so my, my, my honest answer to this is that clubs have a duty of care. They should be honest with their players, not sell them a completely unrealistic dream. But at the same time, any player and any parents who go into football with the hope of making it to the top should always be aware that it probably won't happen. And there should be some realistic appraisal of the fact that life is sometimes about failure. All of the people who aspire to win a Nobel Prize don't win a Nobel Prize. All of the people who aspire to get into Harvard University don't necessarily get in. That's not a reason to give up on life. Can I just ask you one question uh, yeah. on the sort of... Fred was talking about the social dynamic of being a young boy and finding himself in a senior team. Really interesting. For you, you're at Crew, you're in the B team, and then you go to some other clubs and you're young. 
the older players, often people say, well, they should bring the young players through, but you're a threat to their position in the first team lineup. Yeah. Did you actually find that in the dressing room you have these strong characters who are a bit resentful of your presence? Um, well, well, crew, because of you know the amount of players that have come through the, the crew academy, you look at Danny Murphy, you look at um, Gareth Wally, you look at so many players who've crew have sold, you know, on for for money. Um, there's a few. There's a lot more. David Platt. Um, you, you, there's, there's loads, and I think that was the way with crew to um, you learn your football at crew, and then mm-hmm. I think there's a realisation of the senior um, professionals is that that is the way that crew done it. So who's the next one going to be? You talk, who's the next one off the conveyor belt? And, you know, I was nowhere near, nowhere near it for a a year. And I honestly thought, am I going to be a footballer? Fred asked me the question earlier. I honestly thought I was eight and a half stone wet through. So I've gone from playing from boys at at my own age, Fred, to them playing with 14 stone men with beards, yeah. and I was an eight and a half stone skinny kid <laughs> yeah. playing different kind of football, and it was like, oh, this is this is it. I'm not going to be a footballer, and there was just a fight and this desire in me to say, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, and it was, is it luck? Is it attitude? Because there's different pathways, Fred, isn't there? As an as an athlete, you can you can take different roads. You know, I stayed on the road of not drinking. You know, not going out, being totally professional. In the end, you know, I sacrificed a lot to get where I wanted to get. And good for you, Rob, that you did. Fred, Fred can I just ask you, yeah. you? You've talked about your influence on the England dressing room when you were one of the best players in the world and your mood could bring up or take down the team and you were very visible as a presence in the dressing room. But I'd, I'd be really interested because I've got to know you well doing this podcast. When you were a young person, you know, just through adolescence, going into the dressing room at Lancashire or England and you weren't the top dog... Did you find it difficult to integrate into yeah. that sort of social dynamic? Massively. I I was invisible, really. Really? I just sit in the corner. I didn't say anything. Wow. Especially with the first team. You used to have to, you have the second team dressing room and the first team dressing room. And to get in the first team dressing room, you had to knock on the door. <laughs> so when I was playing with the first team, I was still changing in the other room. And that was the smoking room. Interesting. So all the smokers would come and smoke in the dressing room. <laughs> but it was when I started having a drink with the lads, that's when the acceptance came in. Mm. And you talk about what were the people white with you. I found the better the players, the better they were with you. Yeah. It was the fringe players. Yeah, exactly. It was them who were just nasty. Yeah. You know, I remember playing... Because you were a threat to them, right? Yeah, I remember, like, um, I, played, I had to play a game for Lancashire under-19s against the second team when I was 15. And we played at Old Trafford, and I went out to bat, and... My mate Paddy, who Rob knows. Oh, Paddy's a great fella. I didn't know him. We lived together for seven years and best of mates. And we went out to bat and all of a sudden, he's, what, two years older than me, so he's 17. And all the second team lads, all these lads on the fringe of playing or greatness, just started hammering us. Wow. Just started really? hammering us, abusing us. I'm a kid. So then Paddy just came down the wicket. He's a scouser. He's hard as nails. He says, are we going to settle for this or what? I says, what? He says, let's start giving them a back. So, yeah, go on, I'm in. So the two of us just closed ranks and started just letting them have it. I got 80-odd, he got 80-odd, and we did well. We came off. Mm. And then after that, because we had to go back into the second team, we were treated a little bit differently then. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was weird. Yeah. I remember, like, at 15 playing against Kent, and they had a bowler who just who was playing for England, Richard Ellison. Ellison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I went out to bat. First ball, he just put it on a front foot, so I screamed him for four. 
and he's come down the wicket and he's called me everything. You <laughs> effing C-bomb, T, everything. Really? I'm a 15-year-old kid. Wow. So wow. I said to him, if you ball at them, mate, I'll just do it again. <laughs> and I ate him for three fours on the bounce, my first three balls, <laughs> as this young, cheeky kid. And then all of a sudden, everyone just started lumping into me. Yeah. Like Some of the abuse I was getting <laughs> as a 15-year-old really? wow. was bizarre. It's a good job I went to a rough school. Oh. Was, there, was there anyone, Fred, in the England team when you first started playing It was shocking, for mate. It was shocking. But was there anyone that you can pick out as being wonderful in helping you to integrate? Or was there anyone who was just so nasty that it made it actually Do you know not what? the it, pleasure you hoped it would be? It was a real mixed bag. Because mm. I got picked for England at 20. And looking back, I probably wasn't ready. Um, I'd only been bowling three weeks. And I was batting all right. And I, I turned up, and as you do, it was at Nottingham. You turn up to the hotel, mm-hmm. um, and Michael Atherton and Gus Fraser yep. yeah, Gus Fraser, took me out yeah. for dinner the night before with a reporter called Henderson. Who I like Michael him. Henderson. I like Hendo, yeah, yeah he's yeah, a bit yeah. out there. So I've had dinner with these, we've had a few, we've had a lovely night, and others and Big Gus have looked after me so well. Wow. Next day we go in, mm-hmm. and then I'm going up the stairs with me kit, and what happens is at cricket dressing rooms, everyone has the spot in which they're changing. Yep. So they all change in their own spot. So I've gone in thinking someone's going to move up. I'm just stood there with my bags. Nobody's moved, nobody's done anything. <laughs> I mean, all right, then. So I went at Trent Bridge. There's a room with the washing machines at the back and all the towels and everything. So I just put my kit in there. No. I changed with the washing machines. No. no. Seriously, nobody gave me anything. It was a real mixed bag of the reaction from people. Wow. Darren Goff, amazing man. Yeah. Amazing, unbelievable, great man. Um, Gus Fraser, I mentioned. Um, who else? After that, struggling, isn't it, isn't struggling a little bit. Bumble was caught. You so changed nice. with it. You changed with the on my own with washing machines. To be fair, them clothes could do be good with doing them. <laughs> <laughs> and then even even to the fact was, you got you got your three lions cap, and you got a presentation cap, and it had um, George and the Dragon on. Yeah. So I got that first session of the day. I've gone out. I thought it was my cap, but I've got wrong cap on. So I put it on my bag and put my proper cap on. And my cap got nicked. No. So I lost my cap, my presentation cap. It, 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 was, it was, I promise you, it was awful. Yeah. And all these older players, yeah. they'll bang on about it. It wasn't that bad. I promise you, lads, it was. Wow. Wow. So, so come you know, in as a young player. Yeah. You're playing yeah. for England. This is your dream. This is the it's one amazing. thing you want to do. Amazing. What they don't realise is you're walking into a dressing room yep. Yep. of people... I idolised. Yeah, yeah. I looked up to. These were watched on telly. I've dreamt about playing with it. They couldn't even be asked to move the bag to let yeah. me get changed. Jog on, lads. Jog oh, wow. on. Fred, Fred, oh, I, I mean, look, tell any, anything yeah. more that you want to say, but, you know, oh. the first ever senior training camp that I went on for England... And it was in this small room at Lily Shaw National yeah, School Centre. Used called... to be a school of excellence there for football. That's England. right. Well, that's that's. Yeah, I, I, so I got to know Sol Campbell there and some of the other youngsters. All right, pick that we, we used to play in Ford Hall, just a few tables. But Fred, when you were talking, it it, it brought to my mind something I don't think I'd remembered for for maybe twenty years. But I remember walking into that senior training camp with. Desmond Douglas and Paul Day and all of these people that I idolised and my heart was beating out of my chest. Yeah. It was less worry about getting on the table and playing with them than it was of sitting down with them and having a chat and yeah. being integrated. And I was frightened beyond belief and 
unlike you, I was really lucky that Des, he, he, he brought me in and he sat me down and he talked. They could see how terribly nervous I was. But these are the bits of sport that aren't seen. We, you know, we see the players on the pitch, but often it's off the pitch, in the dressing room, in the ante room, in the meeting room, where a lot of the real challenges can... Can, can you relate to any of this, Rob? Um, because I had everything at Manchester United, then went to Crew, and you know it was a, it was a bit different because the players at Crew. So I've, the difference in our careers, Freddie at twenty was playing for England. When I was at twenty, I was in Division Two, thinking, "Am I going to be a footballer?" Mm. So the the Eagles in the Crew dressing room could they couldn't have been Eagles because they were in Division Two. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. But this, but having said that, this is England cricket in nineties. Statistically, yeah. the second worst we've ever had, yeah. and they had egos. Boy, yeah. outweighed their ability. That rubbish, so absolute true. rubbish. Yep, so true. Oh yeah, so true. Not one of Ashes for twenty-one years, and we yeah. rescued it. Yeah. Hey, and we were good lads. <laughs> <laughs> but Matthew, it's a fascinating debate. Of is it is it in cricket, Fred, and Matthew table tennis? Is it just me, or am I wrong to think that? Obviously, a lot of things have got to conspire from the age of seventeen to twenty, if or twenty-one. If you're good, I'm a firm believer. If you're good enough, yeah. If you're good enough, you will be a professional sportsman. So, do you think this? To, to, to finish this off, then, do you think these these kids in the under seventeen, you know, Ryan Brewster, you know, he's at Liverpool, you know, Phil Ford, and do you think Wayne Rooney burst onto the stage at seventeen, didn't mm-hmm. he, for, mm-hmm. for Everton and that goal against Arsenal, went on to be one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen? Yep. Do you think that this group of players, if they're good enough, they will? If they're good enough, they will get into the Arsenal's, the Manchester United's, the Chelsea's and stay there. Do you know what I think's overlooked? I, I think there's undoubtedly these lads, ability-wise, they've won a World Cup. They can kick a football, they yeah. can run, they can trap a ball, they can control it, they mm-hmm. can cross it mm-hmm. or whatever other skills you need to play football. The biggest thing is for me is that mental side. And I look back on my career when I was that age and I spoke before about being mentally not ready for that, mentally immature. And that's what I think it'll boil down to with these lads. You can have everything, but your head controls your feet, your head controls your hands and everything else. So I think that's the biggest barrier. See, because I read a piece in the the paper today, Gareth Southgate. And let me just read, because Fred, you made a good point there. It says, um, um, Southgate, Southgate, manager of England's senior side, admonished their display of self-importance. I balance the fact the young kids in a real moment of ecstasy where are they going to think logically about what they're doing? However, I think what we would hope in the future is that the three lines is the more important thing. It's the badge on the front of the shirt rather than the name on the back. Because what they've done for a photo, they turned their shirts round so they had the names for the camera on the front of the shirts. Nonsense. So... Has Gareth Safka got a point there? Sack them all. Has Gareth Safka got a point there doing the 17s, Matthew? Fred, do you, were you being ironical or do you actually think that that was a... I, 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 do you know what? Part of me thinks that's disgusting. Um, but then the 17-year-old... They've just lads, won the World they've Cup. They've just won the World Cup. Yeah. They're in a situation where they're probably celebrating. Your beans are going, everything's going I on. I totally agree. And then you turn your shirt round. I saw a picture, I don't know how about Ben Stokes, which I was upset with. Mm-hmm. It was on the front cover of a magazine, All Out Cricket, and it was him and Wood, and the other Durham had fastball one. I'm a big fan of both of them. And it was this, the article was about the new kids on the block type thing. Yep. And then the photograph, they had the England caps on turned to the side and backwards. 
that really, really upset it and offended me. And there's nothing in it. It's not like they're trying to do anything. It's probably, oh, can we do this for the photograph? And it's fine. But I really got upset at that because that's your England cap. And it's probably, it's it's true with the shirt as well. I I know exactly what you mean. My my intuition looking at that was that these are a decent group of lads. Yeah. Who just got slightly carried away in the euphoria sure of, they of can, the greatest though. day of their life? Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. Who don't get carried away at a win? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I think coming back to the thing, <laughs> coming back to the thing that you were saying, Robbie and Fred, I agree with you that if you're good enough in football or in cricket, you know, talent and ability is quite visible, isn't it? If you're really good at what you do, technically and you're strong on the pitch, and a manager is going to see that you can contribute to what they're trying to achieve at a football club, you ought to get a break. I think it's too easy for people to make an excuse for their lack of tenacity, the doggedness that you showed, Robbie, when you were rejected by Sir Alec Ferguson but did come back to bite him and you carried on on that journey, that particular pathway you took to the top. I think it shouldn't be used as an excuse. Having said all that, Robbie, just to close this off, would you agree, however that every now and again, wouldn't it be lovely to see Premier League managers taking a risk on youth players who have that skill, the way that Ferguson did with the class of 92, rather than being so paranoid about one bad result that they don't ever take that risk and these players don't transition? Of course you would love to see them take that risk, Matthew, but in terms of in, in modern-day football, it's such short-termism with managers that yeah. if you're in a relegation zone... You know, if your relegation bat um, threatened side, yeah. are you going to put your faith in a youngster? You know, or if you're going to step need to win the title or a Champions League spot, are you going to put faith in a youngster? Or are you going to go for the more experienced player? Short termism, as ever. Is the, it just the... one subject this week? Oh, yeah, okay, so <laughs> ju- uh, next. <laughs> next. Next. That, topic. That, that under 17, Steve, now under 19. <laughs> <laughs> Get more from BBC Five Live with Five Live Podcasts. Sound the alarm as the BBC now has a weekly podcast dedicated to MMA. The MMA show will feature news, interviews and the goings-on in the fastest-growing sport in the world. You can join myself, OJ Borge, ex-fighter Dan Hardy, along with journalist Nick Pete and a range of voices from the scene as we focus on everything that catches our eye. From the UFC to the British domestic scene. Search Five Live in your podcast app. Get more from BBC Five Live. Next topic, David Unsworth and Joey Barton. So last week, Joey's come out and questioned the body size of David Unsworth. And this is a quote. Unsworth makes Alan Brazil look like an athlete. I used to call him Chipper Unsworth because he used to chip it and lose it every time. I'm a firm believer, this is the substantive point of Barton, that teams reflect their manager and Everton did today. They were sloppy. So the question is... Is Barton right to say that the manager sets an example or does body size, if a manager is fat or thin, make absolutely no difference? Hang on on a minute. Are are we talking about this? Joey Barton has said... Can you you repeat that? Basically... Firstly, I can't believe that we've got into a topic which Joey Barton's brought up. (laughs) And two, it revolves around the size of a football manager and a team reflecting the manager. I mean, who, who was his manager? Darth Vader? <laughs> well, my neck. Yeah, he was he said, always at it, him, wasn't he? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the rest of the quote. How can you get players mm. to exert themselves physically as a manager when you're out of shape? He's a glorified PE teacher who shouldn't be in charge of a men's team. Look at him on the touchline. He looks more like a steward. So what we're saying is then, Alex Ferguson was a bad manager because he, he couldn't have played. Imagine him running yep. up and down touchline. Ah, some Wenger. 
Uh, Tony Pulis looks like he's on night bus. <laughs> he's not a bad manager, is he? Matthew, what do you think of those comments? So, okay, I'm very good friends with Joe. So I, I, think, uh, I like Joey. Well, take, take that out of it, yeah. Matthew. Well, let's okay. say this is absolute nonsense. I don't mind Joey Barton. He's been on League of Their Own. I've done a couple of things with him. He's always been lovely. Yeah, he's an outspoken pundit. Yeah, but this is just and nonsense. I, I, okay, so I, I agree with him in one sense and I disagree him with in another. I think if you've got a manager, a coach... They have to set an example in their work ethic. So you mentioned Ferguson. He got to the training I'm, ground. That's at about the... five times today you've mentioned him. <laughs> but he got to the training cliff, uh, training ground at the cliff early, and he left late. Same when they moved to Carrington. He was always in that's, there at seven a.m. Scott doesn't do with it. No, hang on, hang on. So the point that managers have to set an example, if the manager doesn't care, if the manager is lazy, if the manager turns up and hasn't looked at the training videos, hadn't scouted properly, hasn't thought in a forensic way about the diet and the training regime, how on earth is he expected to galvanise his players? So do do we know this about Unsworth? Well, this is the thing where I disagree with Joe. He's saying that a manager should set an example. That is correct. But he's also saying a manager should set an example in terms of their physique. And I think that's completely wrong. You can be fat or thin, tall what? or so, short. So, so Body what, shape what, has absolutely nothing to do with it. What's what, Joey saying? That you should have all these managers on sidelines in budgie smugglers so we can, have a look, <laughs> we can have a look at the physique. Oh, he's got abs. He'll be a cracking manager. Look at him. Look at the pecs on that lad. He's going to be a, it'll be a good team, that one, won't it? But he's Come also on, gone after ints on exactly the same terrain. He said fantastic player but he, he on the touchline he went massive he lost his self-discipline as a leader of men and that con- coincided with him not being able to get a job as manager Steve well, I- Bruce has got many a job <laughs> exactly exactly Rob what's your take on it so I uh, listen I, I, I like Joey Joey's been I've been on shows with Joey I think at times he speaks very well and I like listening to him but I think on this occasion I think there is a line and I think that having played for a manager in Steve Bruce, who it doesn't look exactly like he did when he played. Um, <laughs> well, not far off. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to be nice. I'm only joking, yeah, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think. I think it, 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 as if he's listening. I think you know. I think. <laughs> listen, it's Joey's opinion, but I think it's opinion I completely and utterly disagree with. Having played for somebody who you know physically didn't look like he did when he played. You know, would I listen to Steve Bruce? Yes. Would he inspire me? Yes. Did he get the best out of me? Yes. Mm. Did I look over at the touchline and think, oof, Brucey's put a <laughs> few pounds on? You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna react to what he says. I think it was, it was, it was nonsense. You but know, do you, have you ever had a coach? And you knew that they weren't giving it a hundred percent. You just knew no, that they were, they were time work. That's, they, they, that's different. This but that is, is that is that does undermine things, doesn't it? it? Under- David Unsworth. David Unsworth, yeah. as, as far as I know, Matthew, mm. he's he's the under twenty three manager. And when he, when Joey says about Unsworth makes Alan like an athlete, I used to call him Chipper Unsworth because he used to chip it and lose it every time. This is the guy, Matthew, who played three hundred and sixty four times in the Premier League. Yeah. And we, we know how it is to be a Premier League footballer, and it's, it's Joey's opinion. But mm. I I just think that, you know, Matthew, when I first started being a pundit, I thought, right, I've got to make my name for myself. I've got to try and drop a few um, massive statements out here, to, mm-hmm. you know, and I've I done that. But then I, I reflected on it and think, do you know what? I'm wrong there. I'm wrong. Surely you, 
you've got to back it up what you what you say. And Joey did. He made some eloquent points. It was it, that was one part of what yeah, he said. Yeah, and, it was a longer kind of yeah, argument that he was making. So yeah. it'd be unfair to extrapolate just from that one quote that we've took. But, but Matthew, actually, on, uh, on the what, issue, what is a manager's aesthetically looking? If that's the words I'm looking for, what has that <laughs> got to do with the way you perform? Surely. It's absolutely about you. nothing, nothing Fred. Absolutely you've played, nothing. you've played for. Well, I've had coaches all different ages and sizes and yep. shapes. You know, Bumble. Yeah. You know, he was a good coach, massive nose, but it didn't affect him. <laughs> you know, where, where do you draw the line? Yeah. You know, um, Dav Watmore, is he little fat fella? Mm. Then um, Bob Simpson, he was nearly seventy. Mm. But you, did you brilliant. Duncan yeah. Fletcher looks like he's been it with a shovel. So it matter. And, and also, it doesn't matter whether necessarily whether they happen to be good at the game that they're coaching. So, for example, Guardiola was a fantastic player. Mourinho was not a fantastic player. Ferguson was not. A, Wenger wasn't a great player. In order to inspire somebody to be good at possession football, you don't need to have played possession football for twenty years. You just need to be able to explain it and expound it and teach it and provide the technical skills. So I think. Well, look at look at boxing. You yep. know, look at Freddie Roach. Yeah. You know, he's he's a man, one of the world's best boxing coaches. Yep. Pacquiao, he's trained. He's trained yep. all the all the good ones, and he's got he's got Parkinson's, hasn't he? Yeah. Angelo Dundee. One of the great boxing trainers, Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, he wasn't a great boxer, but he was a fantastic coach. So I think these are two different things. But what you want in a coach, the thing that, this will sound really weird, the thing I wanted as a coach was somebody who cared as much as I did about winning. Somebody who wanted me to win and was prepared to go the extra mile in everything that they did to help me to win. If it meant phoning sparring partners, if it meant organising the training session for the next morning, if it was analysing the video analysis, all of that stuff, you wanted somebody who cared. And there are coaches in many sports who are time servers, and that is a disaster for any team. You know what um, um, Joey said on, on Paul Ince as well? Um, Ince was a manager, he can't get a job, fantastic player, great player to watch, I love watching him play, but when you look at him on the touchline, he went massive. <laughs> you know, what has yeah. yeah. that... You know, what, massive trophy cabinet, massive yeah, exactly, balance? Exactly. You know, better player than me and Joey, in my opinion. But just say then, just say then Joey's hero or your hero... Mm-hmm. Or my hero, just say if Joey's hero, I don't know who it is, Matthew, you know him well, was to put a few pounds on and was eventually to become his football manager, would Joey say the same thing about him? I don't I, know. I very much doubt it. He might, but, he might, because he's a strong opinionated but character. But we're agreeing about this, so let's just, t- can I move it on to a slight, it's a similar terrain, but just take a step back for a second. You were talking, Rob, when you went into punditry, that you wanted to drop a statement that would get publicity that would make waves. Do you think that we need pundits who occasionally can say, you know, there are arguments on both sides, who take a balanced position? Instead of saying, Wenger out, you've got to sack this guy, say, well, actually, there are good arguments for him to be sacked, but he's actually quite a good manager as well. Perhaps he should stay in. Why do we always have to have this polarisation between certain people making outrageous statements on one side of a debate and another group making outrageous statements on the other side of the debate? Why not make it more judicious? You look at 606, a lot of the callers are incredibly tough and extreme. Wouldn't it be nice to hear some more rational arguments in football? Yeah, but I just think, though, as, as, as you know, somebody who's, who's been in positions of Joey and, and, and people, I just think when... 
you've got to get the balance right, of course. You have, I think you can be negative and I think you can be positive. But I just think when it becomes about people's looks and people's, you know, the way they are, the touch, and I think that's 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 wrong for me, Matthew. You know, when you talk about size and weight and everything, it's a dangerous game, mm. you know, because we, we've seen it in the past. We've seen it in all different walks of life. And if you're going to start judging managers and people and everything on the way they look, the size they are, yep. I think it's absolutely shocking. And that's coming from someone who's been all different shapes and sizes and lost <laughs> weight in all different types yeah. of ways. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, no matter who you are, whether you're seen as such a strong character, weak character, when people start attacking you from a weight point of view, and I had it when I was younger, it is not nice. It really isn't. And we have a laugh and a joke about it and we talk about it. Mm -hmm. But to name and shame people when someone's a football manager trying to do his job, I don't know Dave Unsworth. I don't even particularly know who he is, I'll be honest with you. Yep. But I'm sure doing the best job he can possibly do. And if someone, the only way they can criticise him is where he looks or the size of his body, you're a bit of a knob. Next topic. Oh, we're moving on. Freddie's taking on another new challenge with his <laughs> musical Fat Friends in Leeds starting this week. Oh. So what's the one thing that we all still want to do that we have never done? Robbie. <laughs> Come on, Rob. Do you know what I wanted to do? <laughs> I ain't got hairdressing. <laughs> it was, this what? is bizarre, to have muscles. What? You've got... You've... <laughs> what, with, with like... And chips and white wine and parsley sauce. <laughs> uh, you can get you some. When, when we leave here, I'll go and take you for some. No, it was. It was. We all. I'm not. We're not going back to. I'll get you a lobster as well if you want. Try not, a lobster. We're not going back to previous topics. That, don't you? But one thing I wanted to do was to have muscles, which I'm, I'm working my way towards because I was very skinny, and so that's why I go to the gym all the time. Can I just ask? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure people will be seeing this through the camera. What size is that top? <laughs> <laughs> You've come straight from gym again. No. The soap dodger. Yeah. That's it again. <laughs> I went to the He's gym, dodging. but I didn't train. I went for breakfast with my with my. Have you showered today? I've, yeah, I showered this morning before I left the house. And then put your dirty kit on. No, this is exactly uh, clean. It's a quite a small top. My wife. It's your wife? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. So I wanted to have muscles because of my body, and I, yep. I'm working away. But one thing I'd, you know, private investigator. What you want to be one? It was a higher one. I would, I, would, I would want to be a private investigator. You'd be useless. Really? How would you know? You stick out like a sore thumb. You've got to be incognito. How, how, how are you going to hang around without a cut and nose? <laughs> how, how, how are you, you going to stay incognito in your white mini with go faster stripes on? Here he is, Robbie's here. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the yeah. worst undercover yeah, detective of all time. How would you know? Magnum PI had a Ferrari Testarossa, you've got a white mini. <laughs> <laughs> you need a tash under that nose. I can imagine it now with your long lens. Looking, Hang on, trying to catch just... someone out on <laughs> trying to catch someone out on benefits coming off a bus. <laughs> oh, it's right up your street, this Rob, isn't it? You were judging to be a private yeah. investigator. Why not? Why not? Some it. He's a miracle he can walk. <laughs> he shouldn't be getting benefits. I just wanted to be one. I just I, because I've got a few friends who are who are involved in that side. We train with one Steve who's who's a, who was he's, in a the police. he's a security guard at Man City. <laughs> he was in the he's police. Not, he's, he has a bib and can't even watch the match. <laughs> he's not a private investigator. Yeah, but he was in the police. Oh, my word. He was in the police. 
Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was. Well, but I've got no. Because I watch, I watch all these I'll ITV. Watch Sherlock Holmes. No, no, I watch these ITV shows now. Morse. Like, no, there's like there's a crime thing in them. On uh, Piers Morgan's been on them. You know when what, he's, he's a hey? private eye. No, it's like <laughs> Trevor McDonald. Yeah, when they goes inside prisons. But I'm saying, how the they catch... The most unfortunate title for one of them was Gordon Ramsay on Cork. <laughs> <laughs> but when you see it, though, when you see it, you how they solve the crimes. You imagine going to a crime and trying to solve it. I think it'd be amazing. Hang on, well, the question was, one thing you'd want to do, which no, you've never no, done, so do, I'm do answering think, it. Do you think you'd be good at, at solving Real crimes. What 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 would you bring? What, what? qualities would you bring? His lights, his lights, and his car didn't even work. <laughs> he can't even figure out how to wire the fog lamps up. So how, how is he going to figure out a murder investigation? Imagine him turn up at the crime scene, trampling all over it. And he's Louis Vuitton bag wash bag down, and then he's got then he's got his Jimmy Choo trainers on. Don't stand there, Rob. You are oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> my horrible. My horrible. horrible. I'm just being this, realistic. This horrible. is the world record for Robbie getting a hammer. I was thinking about you being a private <laughs> investigator. I think it'd be a brilliant TV series. Well, well, we should do it. You Reality not, television. You would, hang on. would not figure any of them out. They'd all get away. <laughs> Matthew, ask the question again. Ask the question <laughs> of this topic again. The murderer Can be sat in, sat in lounge to... with a knife in his hand, dripping with blood with a dead body. <laughs> Robbie, oh, it's not him. He's got no chance. It's the controller of BBC Two is listening. Robbie Savage, yeah. as a private detective, Matthew, a reality TV ask show. The I question, think it's a ask the question. Ask the question. Can again. I be a sidekick? Can I be <laughs> a sidekick? <laughs> Dr. Well, that'd be good. Right. Spread nine foot four. Walking <laughs> How would Morrison, you Lewis, aren't we? Matthew, <laughs> ask the question again. Are you going to change your question? mind? Are you going to be this time? The question is. Listen to the question. The yeah. question is. If you were to do one thing yeah. in life that you've never done before yeah. but you've always wanted to do, what would it be? I would be a private investigator. <laughs> yeah, OK. Well, good. There you go. Freddie, what would you want to be? I wouldn't be your assistant. <laughs> <laughs> what would you? You've done everything. What would you want to do? I'd like to go to the moon. Really? Yeah, I'd love to. Well, see them scared. aliens. Huh? No, I'd like to go to the moon. You I'd, would I'd, like I'd, to go to the moon? I've seen a lot of the world. I'd like to see moon. I'd like to go on the moon. I don't think anybody's been on it, neither. I'm a, I love a conspiracy well, theory. Well, Zolzim was on it, wasn't He's he? never been. Well, he has. Oh, There's nonsense. a flag on it. Yeah, <laughs> aye, aye. You look at that flag, right? <laughs> the, the flag, when he puts it in, he's flickering in the wind. There's no wind on the moon. There's no atmosphere. There's no wind. It's You're nonsense. Not, are you a conspiracy he might have theorist? He might have, he I love burped. a conspiracy. I love a conspiracy theory. They've never been to the moon. So if they... When did they go to the moon, Matthew? 1962 or three or something, was it? What was it? Yeah, what, the Neil Armstrong Buzz Aldrin yeah. one? 60s. 60s, right. So you're telling me... They've gone through all that. They've gone to the moon in the 1960s and we can't be bothered going again. Ooh, interesting. 50 years ago. Why, why have they not been back? So where was it then? It was in Nevada in the desert somewhere. So you don't think anybody's been on the Nobody's moon? Nobody's been on the moon. No. July the 21st, 1969, 3.15am. So you you want to be the first person ever to go to yeah, the moon? Yeah, as that Tim guy just went Tim on the moon. Peak, he's he, not been on the moon. Where's he been then? Oh, my word, Robbie Savage. You're going to be a PI? Where was he? private investigator. He went to a space not station. Tim Peake. What? Well, it was he didn't near, go to it was the ne- moon. It was near the moon. He was nowhere near. But he could see Earth. No, I can see Earth. I don't know. can't. Wait a minute. He would have seen the whole of the Earth. Oh, we need we need that Cox again, not him, the other one. <laughs> we need him in him. Well, Brian Cox. So how far was the guy, Bert? Um, it was just it was just outside the atmosphere. 
Who's the guy Bert, um, who Bert jumped out? Who jumped out of the um? Who who? I'm not. I'm not I'm oh, the, the, uh, the fellow who did the. <laughs> yeah, what was it? He jumped the Red out Bull. The highest ever free fall. Yeah, what was he called? Bert Wagsmile <laughs> or somebody? Um, Bert Ogden. Og- <laughs> that was amazing, that. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I mean, Matthew? Do you know what it means? That yeah, well, the guy the did the skydive. Yeah, yeah, Felix yeah. Felix Baumgarter. I w- I was hoping that he'd go too far. <laughs> I was hoping he'd take off into out space. And he'd go up. <laughs> oh no, we got we overshot it. How far is the moon? Huh? How far is the moon away from from the Earth? Yeah, no, it's a bit of, of a trek, isn't it? The the sun is nine million. Take a while in your mini. How long would it take to get to the moon? Gosh, a couple it's of days. Three hundred and eighty-four thousand four hundred kilometers. About a week. It takes a week to get to the moon. I don't. That's top of my head. That Rob, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> nothing to back that up with. But I'd love to go. I don't. I don't think would, you, you wouldn't would be scared, Fred. Huh? You wouldn't be scared. Yeah, but I think it'd be good excitement, wouldn't it? Because you yeah. don't know what to expect. You get there, you got a planet to yourself. Just wow. you on a planet. Well, Imagine well, that. Well, what are you going to do on the moon? Let's have a. I won't stay long. You'll have a look. Do a couple of hours and then come on. <laughs> well, imagine the selfie. Um, you don't know. What? Why would you? Would you not? Really? You wouldn't want to go to the moon? You see, you're going to be in a rocket, like upside down, for a week to get there. Why would it be upside down? Well, you, hang on. <laughs> Why would it be upside down? <laughs> you'd be like horrors. What's the word I'm looking for? So you'd be in your seat like that for a yeah, week, looking up, yeah. looking up. No, for what a week. happens is you get out of the atmosphere, then yeah. you just cruise and you can float, oh, you... You float around. Yeah. You float around in a rocket. Yeah. You can't. Be amazing. It takes. It, it takes a week. Sitting upright. Like well, you that. don't sit for a week. <laughs> what do you do then? You just move around your ship. Your ship? I've got you a ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not getting it, Rob, are you? Uh, you, you think what a Wrexham's an adventure. <laughs> eh? What are you doing? What are you doing, yeah. Matthew? Oh gosh, I'm. I think the one thing that I always wanted to do and I've never done when the careers advisor came to school and said, "What is your dream job?" I wanted to be a barrister in court making an argument and saying, objection, your honour, objection, my lord. And I've never really had the chance to do that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to be, I'll tell you what I'd love to do. I'd love to be in the Old Bailey, the theatre of it, the drama with somebody's life on the line um, and being able to make an argument to hear what the opposition are saying and getting into the teeth of a really interesting uh, murder case. Rob, you could have been the PI who brought it my way. Hello? Have you finished? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. I never thought I'd say this. Can I hear more from Robin? (laughs) Objection, Your Honour. I thought you'd gone. We thought about it. Wow. Where, where was the snoring? I didn't wow. hear it. Oh. So all the things you want to do is that. That's the thing I wanted wow. when I was growing up. That is the thing I most wanted to do as a career. But when we said you could do anything, <laughs> you know, I, I, I shot for the moon. I went for the stars. I thought this. You're in the old Bailey. I was, I was, I was you, following you Rob's lead. A PI. Next week. Hey? You're in the old Bailey. You, you could quite ease. Hey, old Rumpole over there. Hey, Rumpole of the Bailey. You could have been anything. So, Freddie wants to go up the moon. You want to go up the old Bailey. And he only wants to say one word in court objection. Then <laughs> he can go home. <laughs> wow. Didn't expect that, Matthew. And Rob's a PI. What? I'm a private investigator. <laughs> okay. So, I think I, I, that was a big fail on that one, um, <laughs> to say the least. I tell you what, though. I tell you one thing. 
What didn't fail? Can I? I've got something for you to hear now. Go on. So we're talking at this this podcast being about the age of seventeen to twenty one. It's been about um, you know size of managers. It's now been one thing we'd love to do, but I've got to say I think the reason why I do punditry and I think you know the pod we do the podcast is for moments like like William the ten year old we had and I want people to listen who listen yeah. to the podcast listen to this that William. 10 years of age on Saturday on, on my 606 show. Have a listen to this. Is, is your boy in the car? He is. Can I put him on? Of course you can. It's his radio debut. Hey, what's his name? William. Hiya, William. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very well. So come on, <laughs> William, William, talk to me about the swans. Well, well, what I find really disappointing is that in the in the transfer window, they lost Gilfie Sigurdsson, who I would say last season was one of our best players. Fernando Llorente went to Spurs. Well, he's not getting much game time. And, they, and we replaced both of them with Wilfie, Wil, with Wilfred Boney, who hasn't played for two seasons. And you expect him to score goals a season. William, I tell you what, you'll be taking my job in a couple of years, don't you? I hope you, you, I mean, yours, that was, you're so, speaking so well. So, do you think you're going to stay up, William? Well, well, not, not really. If we play with the passion and the quality we play today, I mean, it's only Brighton and, <laughs> and we, we will probably go down. What would yeah, you say definitely. then, William, William, what would you say then? So if you've got all the, those Swansea players listening to you tonight, right, you've beaten the game today, you're 10 years old, if you could be the manager and you could say to those players, what would you say to those players? Take a shot. They were afraid <laughs> to take a shot for the entire 90 minutes. It's very right. They wouldn't. They try to walk it in, Robbie. You know, you were screaming, edge of the box, just have a shot. Abraham didn't really get into the box. He didn't have many, many chances, apart from the one where he tried to dink Ryan, but the goalkeeper parries it out, maybe he should have scored. And, well, he just didn't get into the box. And also, the service, the, it was absolutely dreadful. I mean, Tom Carroll, I'm not signalling him out. Well, you are. So, so, William, do you think you're going to stay in the Premier League? No. No? Oh, wow. Because yeah. if, I think the January is really important to us and the big decision is should we sack Paul Clement? I don't think, I don't think we should, as, as he showed us last season, but we need to get some good quality signings if we're going to stay in the Premier League. William, William, what are you doing at 6 or 6 next week? <laughs> well, maybe we'll phone again, Robbie. It's our first it's our first call today. To be fair, absolutely brilliant. William's been absolutely amazing. William, I'll tell you what, you know when Robbie goes to do some TV work for the 5.30 kickoff, do you fancy coming in and doing the show because your vocabulary, your knowledge of football, better your than diction mine, William. is much better than Robbie's? <laughs> 
William, William, like, well, I'm going to keep... William, William, William. There's another good broadcaster oh. who wants to say hello William. to him. Jonathan Overend wants to talk to William. Oh, yeah. Jonathan, come in. Hi, hi William. I was just going to say exactly what Jason's just said then. <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to come in on a Sunday afternoon when I'm presenting Five Live Sport, you'd be most welcome. Leave your details because you're a, you're a star of the future. If you don't want to watch football, if you want to talk about it for a living, you're most welcome to come in one Sunday. We, we will take you up on that offer. William would love to be a commentator when he's older. Can I just say, William, William, so yeah. William, you watch the Swans then. So who's your favourite players in the Premier League? So you watch all the big sides like Manchester United and Manchester City. Who do you like watching? What players? Well, I like watching Manchester United because of their attacking football. I. Oh, yeah. I hey, William, 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 football, William, William, guess what? Jason... My co-presenter thinks Manchester United are dull and boring. No, I said it was a dull and boring game last week. You're such a troublemaker. He William, is such William, a troublemaker. What, William, 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 what did you say to Jason? Well, we're not boring. It's just the way Jose Mourinho plays. If anyone questions his tactics, I will be winning the league next season. You'll, you'll, you'll have your answer. Right. So Robbie, he's... Uh, He's a Swansea stroke Man United supporter. Well, uh, well, uh, well I, I was going to say, Dad, I was going to say there was a rogue we in there, wasn't it? He yeah, did mention William, we. Yeah, William, yeah. William, last one. Last one, William. Guess what? You know, Jason, he supports Cardiff. <laughs> exactly. William, on that note, William and, and Dad, thank you so much. That's been one of our, my favourite calls ever of, of all time. Of all time. Did Brilliant. he say why? Did he say why, why? Richard? There you go. Brilliant. What, Absolutely he's got, he's, got a, he's got a future. What part of Swansea is he from? He's the poshest Welsh person I've ever seen. <laughs> in the eh? How good was he, Matthew? What happened oh, to superb. you, Rob? What? What happened to you? What do you mean? Well, that kid, how old is he? Ten. Ten? Eloquent speaking. You couldn't get your words out. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? And then you were speaking to him like he was a dog. It was like, why was you speaking to him like that? So... Who is your fit? He's a person. He might be ten, but he's a person. You know. William, I don't think brilliant. you're going to get a job on CBBC, are you? Thank you, guys, and thank you for listening. You can download the podcast for extended versions of all the topics we covered on this week's show at the extended? Five Live website and all the usual podcast places. We don't want any more. Uh, all the shows we've done today available to download there as well. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch through the week. If you could leave a review on iTunes and give us a rating, that would be great. We'll be back next week at the same time. For now, from all of us, goodbye. Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. Thank you for downloading the Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy podcast. If you like what you hear, then why not have a look at what else five live podcasts have to offer at bbc.co.uk forward slash five live. Want more from your podcast app? Graduate to Pocket Casts, your free one-stop shop for podcast listening, search and discovery. The beautifully designed app gives you more control and makes it easier to discover and organize podcasts with powerful tools to customize listening. Hear all your favorite shows at pocketcast.com or find us in the Apple app or Google Play stores. 